The dramatic trial of Kyle Rittenhouse is coming to a close. The prosecutor made his final arguments yesterday, and as with most of the prosecutor's tactics, these closing remarks left a lot of people scratching their heads. So what does he do that night? Oh, let me tell you all the awful things Joseph Rosenbaum did. He tipped over a porta potty that had no one in it. He swung a chain. He lit a metal garbage dumpster on fire. Oh, and there's this empty wooden flatbed trailer that they pulled out in the middle of the road and they tipped it over to stop some bearcats and they lit it on fire. Oh, and he said some bad words. He said the N-word. So, uh, is that all he did? He, he just destroyed a bunch of stuff and then set a bunch of stuff on fire and then tipped over a truck after he repeatedly raped kids and threatened to kill Kyle Rittenhouse and then tried to kill Kyle Rittenhouse, which is the very act that prompted Kyle to defend himself. That's all he did. Oh, look, what did he do? What did he do? Just a ton of things that led to the very moment that justified Kyle Rittenhouse shooting him. With a prosecution like this, why would Rittenhouse need a defense? Incredibly, the arguments only got worse from there. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Robert Rudhouse, who said, Michael, Jen Psaki's words merely lacked economy. She should have left it at, Joe Biden doesn't spend much time thinking. You make a very good point. I, I should have thought of this myself. When Jen Psaki says, Joe Biden doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about the Let's Go Brandon chants, that is obviously true because the Let's Go Brandon chants are one part of anything and Joe Biden doesn't spend much time thinking about anything. So you're absolutely right. You know, when I want to tune out and stop thinking about all the troubles of the world, I like to do it over a nice glass of wine, which is why I would recommend you check out First Leaf. If you're like me, you don't really know anything about wine. Okay. I, I wish I did. There's just, there's so many choices. You walk into the wine shop, you think, I have no idea where to begin. And it can be really hit or miss. And it's not even like the price will just tell you. Sometimes you can buy an expensive wine that's no good. Sometimes you buy a cheap wine that's really, really good. The people who make this easy for you, First Leaf. First Leaf Wine Club is the best wine club I have ever subscribed to. They gave me a freebie once when they first came on the show. And I said, okay, I'll try it out. And it was so good. I just shelled out my credit card. I said, we got to keep doing this, baby. This is great. Because what they do is they curate wines to your tastes. You fill out some questions about your taste preferences. And maybe in, in the box, they'll throw in one bottle just to shake things up and see what you think. And then the more that you rate them, the better they get at matching your taste. They're really tremendous, tremendous wines. Join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 plus free shipping. An insane deal. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. Six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash Knowles. The prosecutor in the Kyle Rittenhouse case is the Charlie Kelly of prosecutors. It is like the worst episode of Always Sunny ever. The prosecutor, the, the more that his arguments fail, the more that the judge loses patience with him, the, the more desperate and outlandish he seems to get. I am waiting for this prosecutor to bring up bird law, as one might do in an episode of It's Always Sunny. One of the final closing arguments that the prosecutor made is that if you arm yourself, if you exercise your second amendment right to keep and bear arms, you 
paradoxically lose the right to self-defense. He brought his AR-15. That's why he's got to come up with this cockamamie theory that Joseph Rosenbaum was not only going to take the gun, but take it and then turn it on the defendant. And the defendant actually told you that he thought Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and not only kill him, but kill other people, which is really ironic considering the defendant is the one who killed people in this case and the only one. But putting that aside, they have to convince you that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to take that gun and use it on the defendant because they know you can't claim self-defense against an unarmed man like this. You lose the right to self-defense when you're the one who brought the gun, when you're the one creating the dam danger. So that is simply not true. <laughs> that, that is completely, that has no basis in the law or in history or in common sense. You can't lose your right to self-defense if you are defending yourself, if you're arming yourself to defend yourself. Then you don't have a right to self-defense. And furthermore, if, if the prosecutor's claim is that Kyle Rittenhouse had no reason to believe that the the jo Joseph Rosenbaum, this dead child rapist, he wa obviously he wasn't dead at the time, but he was a child rapist at the time. And he, what he did do at the time is threaten to kill Kyle Rittenhouse. So the prosecutor is saying, this is a cockamamie crazy theory that he pulled out of thin air, that he was afraid that Joseph Rosenbaum was going to kill him. He literally threatened to do that. He actually said, I am going to kill you guys if I see you out tonight. And then he tried to, and then he got killed for his trouble. That's what happens. That's called self-defense. Then, as if the prosecutor had not embarrassed himself enough, he decided to reenact the scene. He thought, okay, look, my, my rhetorical skills are pretty subpar, but maybe if I pantomime what happened, if I act it out, maybe then I will be able to convince the jury that Kyle Rittenhouse's obvious self-defense was not justified. So this maniac picks up an AR-15 and just starts swinging it around the courtroom. The defendant comes running in and drops the fire extinguisher on the ground like this. And then raises his left hand to the gun and points. This is what we see in the video. Him putting the fire extinguisher on the ground and then raising the gun. Whoa! Your Honor, I'm going to object. He's facing the wrong direction. That's an argument. Okay. Whoa, buddy, chill out. Chill out with the AR-15, you lunatic. Uh, look, I'm not saying that I have the most intense, rigorous firearms training, that I am some expert on guns. I'm not. I have some firearms training. I've fired a gun on a number of occasions, and I've had people show me how to do it. And what's the first thing they tell you not to do? What's the, the very first thing, if you've ever touched a gun in your life, the first thing they tell you not to do, don't point it at people. Actually, there are two first things you're going to hear. Don't point it at people and don't put your finger on the trigger unless you are ready to kill whatever is in front of the barrel of that gun. And what does this schmuck do? He picks up a freaking AR-15, puts his finger on the trigger and starts swinging it around the courtroom. He should be disbarred for this. I, I, that's not an exaggeration. If I were at a gun range, if I were in a gun store and I behaved like this, I would be kicked out of that store in two seconds, much less a court of law. 
but the gun's not loaded. Okay, first of all, if you've been paying attention to the news over the past few weeks, you'll know that sometimes people think guns aren't loaded when they actually are. If the set of Alec Baldwin's movie had paid a little more attention to gun safety, the cinematographer would still be alive. But two, it just shows the unseriousness of this prosecution. This guy, this prosecutor who's representing the state, is trying to make claims about Kyle Rittenhouse's use of a gun and his use of his right to self-defense without knowing even the most basic things about guns or the right to self-defense. He was wrong on the law and he's wrong on the gun. And he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And the only thing that he can hope for in this case is that the culture of scapegoating Kyle Rittenhouse, the culture of saying right wing bad, left wing good, white guy bad, other uh, all the victims, not victims, all of the people who were killed by Kyle Rittenhouse in self-defense, in this case were white too. So the race isn't a huge issue here, but it was at a BLM protest. So, you know, BLM rioters good, anti-BLM <laughs> protesters bad, right? They're just counting on this media narrative and the pressure of the president and the pressure of BLM and the threats that are coming in from the left to try to sway the jury. Because on the facts of the case, on the logic of the case, the prosecution doesn't have anything. The one charge, the one charge in this case that I thought maybe they'll get Kyle Rittenhouse on, or maybe they ought to get Kyle Rittenhouse on, is the gun charge. Maybe he shouldn't have had that gun. Maybe that gun wasn't legal to have in that place or to be held by him at that time. That was one of the charges against Kyle Rittenhouse. And the judge threw that one out yesterday. Is the firearm here now? Yes. We can either measure it or you can stipulate that it is. it does not meet what I've stated are the requirements. Um, and if it uh, is out of compliance, if it if it is, if the barrel length is less than 16 inches, or an overall length less than 26 inches, then I'll deny the motion. If it does not meet those specifications, then this most uh, defense motion will be granted. <coughs> we are not disputing that the barrel, that the barrel length is appropriate. Isn't legal? It is not a short-barreled shotgun or a short-barreled rifle, yes. Either by barrel or by overall length? Correct. All right, and then count uh, six is dismissed. There it is, and then that's dismissed. And the, the prosecution, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum sitting over there or keep answering very reluctantly. They're answering all the judge's questions. So hold on. You're telling me the barrel length is fine? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The barrel length is fine. Okay. And you're telling me the overall length of the gun is fine? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. So you're telling me the gun is not an illegal gun. Well, uh, yeah, I guess all the parts of it are legal and the, and the, no. So yeah, I guess. Okay. No, it's not illegal. It is illegal. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well then that dumb charge is dismissed. So the best shot you had other than relying on, on mob rule and political pressure and, and scapegoating. The best legal case you had thrown out the window. You know, speaking of windows, 
it's very important to get good window treatments. That is going to really, really help beautify your home, which is why I would recommend you check out Hunter Douglas. Hunter Douglas can help you with their incredible window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that are so advanced, they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Maybe it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room. Maybe it's being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's just that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. I find this, especially as a conservative myself, I think aesthetics really matter. I think being in beautiful places really matter, especially with light. It was one of the main things I was focused on when I was looking to get my house here in Tennessee. Your shades can be set with Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology. They can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation. Go to hunterdouglas.com slash today. Take advantage of the season of style rebate savings event. HunterDouglas.com slash Knowles for limited savings. Offer expires December 6th, 2021. So the uh, prosecution case is failing. The jury might still convict him. We don't know. But the prosecution's case is failing. And so what can we expect? People to say a good law has been upheld justice has been done. We have faith in our institutions. We trust the pillars of our democracy and we will stand by. No, the libs are going to riot if if he gets off the hook. And that's what they're expecting. And that's what the Democrat governor of Wisconsin is expecting. The Democrat governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, has placed 500 Wisconsin National Guard troops on standby in Kenosha for the expected verdict in the Rittenhouse case because he's concerned about violence. Is he concerned about violence from Trump supporters? No. From white supremacists who don't don't really exist? No. From the insurrectionist right winger? No. It's from the libs, the libs who torched the country and rioted and committed murder and and were arsons and and started all of this madness in the first place. How did the Kyle Rittenhouse case even happen? The Kyle Rittenhouse case happened because a degenerate criminal named Jacob Blake went into a home, sexually assaulted a woman, and then drove off with a van full of her kids, and or tried to drive off in a van full of her kids. And before he could do that, he resisted arrest a bunch of times. And finally, before he got in that car with a weapon in there, a cop shot him completely justifiably. And then the libs rioted over that. And the libs rioted and attacked people and burned down stores and burned down property. And then Kyle Rittenhouse went to protect some of that. And he was threatened with murder and he fired back in self-defense. That's how we got here. You don't need to go back to ancient history. You just need to go back a few days before the events that are in question took place. And now it looks like we're going to get a whole repeat. It's deja vu all over again. And it's not the right-wing insurrectionist people. You know, when, when the libs, I guess they still say this, when they said that the January 6th, January 6th, Capitol Hill riot, when they said that was the worst insurrection in our country in history, or it was the worst attack on Washington since 1812, or it was whatever, they were not only wrong, they were perfectly wrong. The, the Capitol Hill incident, was not even the worst insurrection of the year. Wasn't the worst insurrection in six months. Wasn't the deadliest, wasn't the most destructive, wasn't the greatest threat to our system of law. That insurrection was called BLM. That insurrection was called Antifa. And that took place for six months, eight months, 
cities around the country. And it looks poised to take place again. The Democrat governor believes that's the case. We have Daily Wire reporters on the ground right now in Kenosha because, look, hopefully it's totally peaceful, but if passed as precedent, it won't be. This is, the reason I bring it up is not just to harp on the libs and point out how they're burning the country to the ground. It's to give you a little tool here, which I suspect many of you have intuited already, which is this is generally a way to tell who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. If the verdict in a trial is going to, even, even if it were an unjust verdict, which in this case, if Rittenhouse gets off, that will be a very just verdict. But even if it were unjust, if the, the verdict is going to cause one group of people to burn things down and kill people and, and riot in the streets, that group, they're probably the baddies. They're probably not the goodies. They're probably the baddies. And the libs who are continue to talk about January 6th as though it were more than just a little blip in the news cycle compared to what else has gone on, they are either ignorant or disingenuous. And there are a handful of so-called Republicans who are helping them out to do that as well. Although I guess they might not be Republicans for long. The Wyoming Republican Party has just voted to kick Liz Cheney out of the party. They, they are no longer recognizing Liz Cheney as a member of the Republican Party. And I, you know, I hate to say I told you so. I'm not sure if I had anything to do with this vote, but the timing is a little bit weird because, because yesterday, yesterday or the day before on this show, I guess it would have been yesterday because today's Tuesday. Yesterday on the show, I mentioned that Liz Cheney simply is not a Republican as a practical matter. She might have an R next to her name. She might even vote with Republicans on a number of issues. But as a practical matter, whenever there is a crucial vote, whenever there is a, an actual fight between the Democrats and the Republicans, she now sides with the Democrats. And that's true in party politics. It's true in the media. Where does she go on TV? She goes on the left-wing news networks. She takes orders from Nancy Pelosi. In the crucial presidential election, she votes for the Democrat. In the crucial votes in the House, she votes with the Democrat. So she just is a Democrat. And she's dishonest as far as Democrats go because she pretends to be a Republican. And so I, I said, if you were to kick Liz Cheney out of the Republican Party, it's not as though that would be a punishment or some acrimonious, big, momentous event. It's, it would just be acknowledging reality. She is not a Republican for all intents and purposes. And the Wyoming GOP apparently recognizes that. And it's, that's an important thing. Not because I even, who cares about Liz Cheney? She doesn't really matter all that much. No one, no one really supports her. No Republicans really support her right now. And the Democrats are only pretending to support her because she's useful to them. But the minute she's no longer useful to them, they're going to throw her to the curb. So she, she doesn't matter, but the principle matters. Okay. It is important for your political party to acknowledge reality. And, and so in this case, they are now beginning to acknowledge reality. It's not, it's not about infighting on the Republicans or all the Republicans scrapping with one another. The girl just isn't, she just isn't a Republican, okay? And the Wyoming GOP is acknowledging that. Now, speaking of political infighting, there is even more delicious political infighting going on right now among the Democrats, not just among any Democrats, between the president and the vice president. You remember that Kamala Harris is very upset with Joe Biden. 
She feels that she's being sidelined. She's not being respected. She's not being defended. She's got lower approval ratings than any vice president in decades, if not ever. She's got a lower approval rating right now than Dick Cheney did in 2007 after the Iraq war and after he shot a guy in the face. So she is really, really low. They were calling Dick Cheney Darth Vader in those days. Okay. And she's lower than him, about 27, 28%. And so she wants political support from Joe Biden. Joe Biden either can't give it to her, he's not capable of it, or he's not willing to give it to her. So this is what CNN's reporting. Many in the vice president's circle fume that she's not being adequately prepared or positioned and instead is being sidelined. The vice president herself has told several confidants she feels constrained in what she's able to do politically. Yeah, duh, of course you're restrained. You're the vice president. Your job is to take orders from the president. Biden says, jump, you say how high. That's your job. So what's she going to do? What is What can Kamala Harris do? She's in a position where she is serving entirely at the pleasure of the president. She is in a role that historically is just not that important. She isn't particularly likable in herself. That's why she was the first person out of the race in 2016, or 2020 rather, in the Democrat primary. So what's she going to do? She's going to do one of the only things she ever could do in her political career. She's going to play the race card. That's right. She, this is according to the CNN reporting, a former Harris staffer who spoke to current aides and Harris allies said, it's hard to miss the specific energy that the White House brings to defend a white man, Pete Buttigieg, knowing that Kamala Harris spent almost a year taking a lot of the hits that the West Wing didn't want to take themselves. Yeah, so they're willing to support Pete Buttigieg. Why is that? Is it because, well, we'll just tell you, it's because he's a white guy. Kamala's a black guy. Hey, Joe. If you don't back us up, Joe, we're going to call you racist. It's the only thing we can do. We don't have any skills or likability or any moves, but there's one thing we got, baby. It's the color of our skin, Joe, and we're, mm, it's the worst thing you can be called in America. You want to be called a racist, Joe? Well, you better defend us. You better watch out. Now, we can all engage in a little schadenfreude here. We can all take a little pleasure in Joe Biden and the Democrats getting hoisted on their own petard, right? On that, they love to play the race card. They love to use disingenuous accusations of racism against us and against their opponents. And now it's being used against them. And that's a delicious thing, but it is still wrong. It's a bad thing to have happen. And it's silly. The, the premise of it is that racism, which today means basically nothing. It's been defined to mean nothing at all is the worst possible thing in the world. But there are, there are worse things, right? Uh, genocide, that would, be a, that would be a worse thing. I guess it's related, but uh, abortion, that's a much worse thing. Uh, rape and murder, those are worse things than, uh, like there, there are worse things than racism. And, and yet in our shallow moral discourse these days, it's the worst thing you've got. And the White House, they got the message. The White House actually did respond. Now, the White House doesn't respond to calls for gasoline prices to go down. So we're responding ourselves. That's why you got to check out Get Upside. Get Upside. That is a command and it is also the name of this incredible free app. Right now, my listeners are making up to 25 cents for every single gallon of gas. Every single time they fill up, you just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That is up to 50 cents cash back. Do not pay full price at the pump anymore. 
get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks per month. There is no cash. There, there is no catch. There is a lot of cash. The cash gets added right to your bank account. Okay, it's super easy. You can have it go straight to your bank account or if you prefer PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank with code Knowles. It is no secret that the left is going to force compliance with their radical agenda across the board, whether it's the media lying to push their gun control narrative over the course of the Rittenhouse trial, whether it's the government's, federal government's attempt to enforce vaccine mandates on employers. It is becoming clear that compliance, getting you to kneel to them is the goal. That's why here at The Daily Wire, we're fighting every day against this kind of tyranny from our honest coverage of the Rittenhouse trial to the lawsuit we've taken out against the Biden administration for their unconstitutional vaccine mandates, we're applying the pressure. We're not just fighting for our own employees. I'm glad that we're fighting for our own employees, but we're not just fighting for them. We're fighting for the freedom of every single American who's facing termination based on this unconstitutional mandate. Very important that everyone's voice is loud right now. If you want to support the fight to make your personal medical decisions without the government having your employers force you to take the Fauci-ouchie, sign our petition against Biden's mandate. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have already signed the petition, but we need many more people to stand with us to reach our goal of 1 million. So please head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to sign the petition today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Kamala Harris has been whining for a long time and her approval ratings are plummeting. So she made one complaint that the White House had to respond to. She, through back channels, through leaks, through allies of friends of associates, said that Joe Biden's a racist. He defends Buttigieg more than he defends me. He's a big racist. Gosh, sure would be a shame if the VP had to call Joe Biden a racist. And then all of a sudden the White House responds. But listen to how they respond. Quote, this is from Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary. Quote, for anyone who needs to hear it, the vice president is not only a vital partner to the president of the United States, but a bold leader who has taken on key important challenges facing the country from voting rights to addressing root causes of migration to expanding broadband. Oh, rare, <laughs> rare, rare, That is... Oh, hell hath no fury like a press secretary who is being, who is defending her man, <laughs> who is, who is uh, facing criticism from the vice president. It's, it sounds, look, this is such a beautifully crafted tweet. I, I have got to hand it to Jen Psaki. We occasionally make fun of Jen Psaki for not being as good at her job as her predecessor was, but this was a really well-written tweet. It kind of broadly looks like she's defending Kamala Harris. But every line, every syllable is attacking Kamala Harris. For anyone who needs to hear it, right? She's saying, I don't want to send this tweet. You guys are making me send this tweet. I hate, I'm doing it grudgingly. The VP is not only a vital partner, not a good partner, not an excellent partner, not a, a wonderful, good, terrific, good for the country partner. No, vital. Vital meaning alive. She's, not only does she have a pulse, 
But she's a bold leader. Again, not a good leader, not an impressive leader, not an accomplished leader. Bold. And she is bold. You're pretty bold if you're the vice president and you're going to accuse your boss of racism. The guy who picked you, a a woman of color, of color, that's right, that's the magic card. And that's the only reason she was picked. Joe Biden actually admitted that. He said, I'm going to pick a black woman. And then he had two choices. It was, he had had three choices. He had Kamala Harris, who is awful and unlikable and the first person out of the primary. He had Karen Bass, who's literally a communist, uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass. And he had Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi. So the, the latter two he couldn't pick. So he was stuck with Kamala Harris, a bold leader, okay, who has taken on key important challenges facing the country from voting rights Voting, what does that even mean? There's nothing, nothing's really a big deal with voting rights, right? No one's, no one's right to vote is really threatened. And in as much as the right to vote is threatened, the Democrats are losing on that, right? Because the, the Republican voter integrity measures are going into a place. So either a nothing burger or a failure to addressing the root causes of migration. Well, we've got the worst migration crisis possibly in our history going on right now. So that total failure to expanding broadband, <laughs> That's just the, that's the twist of the knife. If it weren't obvious before, and I think it was, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris detest one another. They don't like each other. Don't forget, Kamala Harris's high point of her presidential campaign was when she, like this, accused Joe Biden of being a racist and saying that Joe Biden was trying to segregate schools when she was a kid or some kind of nonsense, right? There is no love lost between these people. But they have to stick together. This is their bed and they have made it. Kamala Harris knows a thing or two about this in politics. They, when you make your bed, you, you have to lie in it. And, uh, and in this case, Kamala Harris made herself into the token candidate. From, from day one, she was going to be the token candidate. I'm going to make race the central issue of my campaign. And I'm, I'm going to accuse my strongest opponents of racism. And Joe Biden launched his campaign by saying Donald Trump's a racist. That was the first thing he said in the campaign. And I'm not going to be a racist. So he had to prove that by picking at least a black person, if not a black woman, to get even more intersectional points. And now they're stuck together. And we get to pull out the popcorn and enjoy the theatrics. Speaking of unlikable Democrats, I can't believe that this is not a Saturday Night Live sketch. I guess the way I know that this is not a Saturday Night Live sketch is that this is funny. We have a twice-failed Democrat from Texas now announcing a third run. He ran for Senate and lost. He ran for president and really lost. And now what happens when you lose twice? You run a third time for a completely different office. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Beto for governor of Texas. I'm running for governor and I want to tell you why. This past February, when the electricity grid failed and millions of our fellow Texans were without power, which meant that the lights wouldn't turn on, the heat wouldn't run, and pretty soon their pipes froze and the water stopped flowing. They were abandoned by those who were elected to serve and look out for them. It's a symptom of a much larger problem that we have in Texas right now. Those in positions of public trust have stopped listening to, serving, and paying attention to, and trusting the people of Texas. And so they're not focused on the things that we really want them to do like making sure that we have a functioning electricity grid or that we're creating the best jobs in America right here in Texas or that we have world-class schools or that we make progress on the things that most of us actually agree on, like expanding Medicaid or legalizing marijuana. So guys, I, look, bros, 
I just, I just really want to be a politician. All right. I'm just going to put my cards on the table. He, this guy is more Matthew McConaughey than Matthew McConaughey. You know, people said Matthew McConaughey is going to run for governor. He sort of is. It's just, it's like Matthew McConaughey without the intelligence or virtue or charisma. Then you get Beto O'Rourke. And so he's running because he just really wants to be a politician. And it's very easy to make fun of Beto. He is probably the most easily mockable politician alive. I'm trying to think of one who's, someone said that Beto is like the Democrat Jeb, not even close. Jeb is like Alexander the Great compared to Beto O'Rourke, okay? Jeb is Charlemagne compared to Beto O'Rourke. But while we can mock him as a skateboarding, dude bro, whiny, millennial, Kerouac reading joke, loser, I wouldn't count him out. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm urging caution. Do not, do not count Beto out. He's a joke whose high point of his presidential campaign was when he said, hell yeah, I'm going to take your AR-15s. Yeah, yeah, man. (coughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. Wouldn't it be cool? What if the color that you see as green, I see as blue? You know, he's just like, his lines just come out of freshman philosophy seminars. But persistence can pay off. Okay, we talked about this yesterday on the show, the power of persistence. Democrats are nothing if not persistent. John Ossoff ran for Congress in Georgia. He was a joke. He was a very silly candidate that the Democrats and especially people in Hollywood dumped about a bazillion dollars into, and then he lost. And we all laughed at him, and he even looked like Beto, and he kind of talked like Beto. And you know what he, what he is now? He's Senator Ossoff because he lost. He loses, 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 loses until he wins, right? He's just they are just persistent. Stacey Abrams loses the Georgia governor's race. If you asked a lot of people in Georgia right now who's the governor, they would probably tell you Stacey Abrams because she's so persistent. She keeps, she tried to be vice president. I'm sure she's going to run again. She's going to run for a million other offices until she wins. Richard Nixon, actually, he's one of ours who did this. Richard Nixon had the presidential race stolen from him in 1960 and he keeps running, runs, 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 and then he wins. Do not count out, it's not, it's not enough for Republicans to just pass the law, get the decision from the judge, sign the executive order, and then say, we've solved it. No, you've got to keep up that persistence. I can't believe we have to learn anything from Beto O'Rourke, but we might. And speaking of persistence, President Trump, President Trump is dominating the 2024 Republican presidential field. A lot of us are talking about who should the candidate be? in 2024. A lot of people are talking up Ron DeSantis. A lot of people would mention Ted Cruz. He was basically the number two guy in 2016. A lot of people are talking about, I don't know, Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley clearly wants to run. A lot of people are talking about Nikki Haley. She would run in the more moderate lane, probably. A lot of people are talking about, I don't know, Christy Noem. She She's an attractive candidate. She did well during COVID. She would also probably be a little bit more moderate. People are talking about Tim Scott. People are, none of that matters right now. What I'm here to tell you is it doesn't matter what that great thing is that DeSantis did in Florida or what that great piece of legislation. None of the, the only question that matters for the 2024 presidential race is will Trump run or will he not run? Because if he runs, he's going to clear the field. Almost certainly. There was an Iowa caucus poll that was just taken. Uh, this was just obtained by Breitbart. The survey from pollster Rick Shafton's Neighborhood Research and Media shows that Trump right now is polling at 56%. 
significantly more than half the voters in the Iowa caucus poll are, are on Trump's side. Okay. Do you know, do you know who the number two was? The number two is Ron DeSantis. Do you know what his number was? 12.3%. 12.3. Trump is beating DeSantis, the number two guy, by more than 40 percentage points. After that, you've got Christy Nome, 2.1%. After that, you've got Ted Cruz, Pompeo, other people who are, who are uh, Pompeo, I forgot, is, is obviously looking to run. 20.8% are undecided. But it doesn't matter how many people are undecided. More than half the voters are with Trump. So it's, it's, not, it's not as though, well, with some good messaging and positioning, maybe Ron DeSantis or somebody could. No. I mean, right now, Trump is just dominating this field. And how did he do that? One, he's a kind of singular political figure, but two, he's persistent. He just won't let up. The guy has been running for president again ever since the ballots came into Georgia and Wisconsin at three o'clock in the morning on election night 2020. And it, and it reminds you a lot of the GOP positioning right now is moot. The question that the Republicans have to answer is not, do I like DeSantis more or Cruz more or Christy Nome more or Pompeo more or whatever. The, the question Republicans have to answer is, do we want Trump again or not? If you do, done. Your campaign's ready to go. If you don't, you've got to find a way to communicate that in such a way that Trump doesn't run. Because even if you don't want Trump, if Trump runs, I think the, the primary is basically over. Plus, who cares? Who cares who gets the Republican nomination for president? Who cares even who gets the Democrat nomination for president? We all know who's really running the country. Come on. Who, who, who is the most powerful politician in the country and therefore in the world? Five letters preceded by one title, Dr. Fauci. And our Supreme Leader, Dr. Fauci, has some good news for us, or for some of us. In his beneficence, in his magnanimity, Dr. Fauci is going to permit some of us to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. If you get vaccinated and your family's vaccinated, you can feel good about enjoying a typical Thanksgiving, Christmas with your family and close friends. We unfortunately still have a dynamics of uh, infection in the community of about 70,000 new cases per day. So when you go to indoor congregate settings, go the extra mile, be safe, wear a mask. But when you're with your family at home, goodness, enjoy it with your parents, your children, your grandparents. There's no reason not to do that. This will end, Bill. We are not going to be going through this indefinitely. How quickly we get to the end depends on us, how well we vaccinate, how well we get boosted, and how well we do the kinds of things to protect ourselves. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Thank you for telling me that I am permitted to have Thanksgiving and Christmas with my close family and friends. Not, you know, not with anybody because you can't invite your coworkers. All right. You can't have, I'm not talking about a 12 person table, but you know, close people if you're vaccinated. But what does it mean to be, well, you have to be vaccinated and boosted. Okay. And you've got in the, and at, at the other occasions you need, you do need to wear your mask because this is going to end. Don't worry. Dr. Fauci is promising you this is going to end very soon if you comply, if it depends on you, okay, you naughty little Americans, if you don't, if you don't comply, it's going to go on longer. It's going to maybe seem indefinite. It's going to end 15 days. 
It's just 15 more days, guys, okay? But you've got to wear the mask. Now you've got to social distance. Now you've got to take the vax. Now you've got to take the other vax. Then you've got to take the booster. Then you had just one more thing. Just one more thing, you sheep. Then you can go back to normal. <laughs> you got to get another booster again. Speaking of the Rona, speaking of coronavirus, because a lot of people don't want to listen to Fauci and don't want to wear the masks forever and don't want to take the 17th booster shot and done even now, I, I fly on airlines constantly. I'm just, I've been, every few days I've been on a flight for the past two months, especially. I was on one, I was on two flights yesterday, actually, to, to and from Los Angeles. And I'm noticing they don't, they don't really enforce the mask thing anymore. And I'm not sure if it's because the airlines don't want to do it or I'm, I think it's just because people aren't going to do it. And so the, the ruling class only has so much power. If we all just said no, they would be helpless, right? And so they, they do have to calibrate their rule to what we're willing to tolerate, right? That is, that is why Dr. Fauci initially said, I, I, I don't know if you can have Christmas and Thanksgiving. And then there was a big pushback and he said, oh, never mind, never mind. I, I never said that. What do you know? You can have it. Just get 17 more boosters, get this, get, you know, and it's, it's a bit of a negotiation. So because people are sick of this nonsense, the ruling class is pulling out all the stops, the entertainment, the media, Saturday Night Live. They just, they ran, I, I guess what's supposed to be a comedy sketch about a flap between Big Bird and Ted Cruz, the, the Muppets and Sesame Street, uh, insisting that everyone take a bunch of vaccines. Ted Cruz said, make your own medical decisions and don't listen to a puppet bird. And, and, and Joe Rogan, too, was in this. Just take a listen Tell me if you can identify the comedy. Well, that's right. I used to host Fear Factor, and now doctors fear me. Can you help me, Joe? Oh, sure thing, Big Bird. You see, I took Carlos Mencia down. I could take COVID. Here's some zinc, and ayahuasca, and some horse medicine. Why would a bird take horse medicine? I'm a human, and I took horse medicine. And I'm speaking of things that uh, are horse-like. Uh, today's two sponsors are the letters S and D, as in I can S my own D. What? What was the joke? You were, there was some laugh. I mean, I wonder if it was laugh track or if it was the actual studio audience or maybe some combination. But even with that, even with a studio audience and potentially a laugh track, a bunch of those lines didn't even land. They didn't, I don't even know what the joke was. Was the joke that Joe Rogan took some kooky witch doctor medicine for COVID that wouldn't work? Joe Rogan recovered from the coronavirus in like five hours. Is the, the joke is that he took horse medicine? He didn't take horse medicine though. Is the joke that uh, Joe Rogan is some fringe lunatic, but Dr. Fauci, or, you know, Dr. Fauci is now uh, uh, viceroy and vicars, you know, and through Big Bird and, and other representatives of the ruling class, that they are somehow serious and respected and popular? I don't think they are. I think Joe Rogan is one of the most popular communicators and broadcasters in the world. And Dr. Fauci is the butt of everyone's jokes. Is, is, the, is the joke that the people who are questioning the regime and questioning Joe Biden, for instance, are fringe and weird and radical, and Biden is really popular. No, Biden's approval rating is as, about as low as it gets. 
what is it, 37, 38%? What's the joke? The joke would be, like, what, what comedy used to do is speak truth to power, right? What comedy used to do is juxtapose incongruous things and and it would be funny and you would laugh at that, which is ridiculous. But in, in this case, what is ridiculous is not the fringe clown. It's not the, it's not the Joe Rogan. What's ridiculous is the ruling class. And Saturday Night Live, far from being a critic of the ruling class, is part of it. And it's, a, it's an extension of it. And it's part of the propaganda outlet. And so it's just not funny. It's just not funny. And SNL has been hit or miss for an extremely long time. Really hasn't been funny since Norm Macdonald left the show, but it's had its moments. This is a real low point, and they're not going to figure it out until they they break away from the ruling class. But unfortunately, it's it's the kind of the ruling class that's propping up these old, desiccated establishment institutions, like the establishment media and like even Saturday Night Live. Speaking of tone deafness, Donna Brazile, former head of the DNC was just on George Stephanopoulos' show, George Stephanopoulos, the former communications director for Bill Clinton. And they were on ABC and they're both pretending to be journalists. <laughs> and Donna Brazile was asked about inflation. And this is a really tough issue. It's plaguing Biden's approval numbers and it's really hitting Americans of all classes, of all races, everywhere. And to his credit, Stephanopoulos says, what are people supposed to do about inflation? Donna Brazile says, you know, I don't know, clip some coupons. Inflation has been going up for the last three years. I go to mm. I go to Safeway. Come on, I go Donna. look look. You gotta be, look. You you gotta be smart when you go out and shop today. Okay, whether you're looking for Jiffy Cornbread, <laughs> which used to be three for a dollar, and it went up to eighty-seven cents, or if you're buying gas, and if you buy it in the inner city, it's ten cents more than if you go out just to far, further out. Well, George, is, that the, wait, the so is that the Democratic slogan? No. We're going to raise your prices, but be smart about no, it. It could be a little you, bit less. You, you mentioned Mary Run Pat. You mentioned Mary Pat. <laughs> I'm just telling you my experience of shopping. you got to be a smart shopper. you got to be a smart shopper. Look, if you go into the inner city, gas is going to be 10 cents more, okay? And if you go to California, it's going to be $7 a gallon. So, you know, just clip some coupons. Just be a smart shopper. This is tone deaf. That, that's the real problem for the SNL writers is that they're tone deaf. And if you want to write comedy, if you want to write music, if you want to create any cultural product, you need to be able to hear the, the tone of the people. You need to be hear, able to hear the tenor of the conversation, what's actually going on. But these guys are so stuck in their echo, echo chambers that Donna Brazil says, oh yeah, okay, pancake mix is 20 cents more per box. Whatever. What, you poor people can't afford that? Just be a smart shopper. Come on, just have... When you have Whole Foods deliver to your Georgetown penthouse, just just order you know order in bulk so that you can save a little bit on on the quantity. Just be a smart shopper. And Chris Christie, quite rightly, says if Democrats want to run on that, please do. That is not going to resound for the American people. Really weak arguments that they're making from the Rittenhouse case all the way to electoral politics. What they're hoping for is that they have such a structural advantage that it won't matter if their arguments don't make any sense at all. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, 
Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the prosecutors in the Kyle Rittenhouse case made their closing arguments in their case against self-defense in the Second Amendment. We'll take a look at the closing arguments and we'll trace this case all the way back to where it really started because we shouldn't forget about where, where this all really began. Also, Representative Cori Bush claims that armed white supremacists shot at her. There is absolutely no evidence of this, of course. And Beto O'Rourke runs for governor, plus a city in Michigan elects an all-Muslim city council. The media says... This is a great example of racial diversity. There are a number of problems with that claim we'll discuss. And a feminist author says that many women deeply regret having children and getting married. Is that true or just wishful thinking on her part? We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.